When you're first dating someone and you're really excited about them, it can be easy to see only what's wonderful about them and then be blind to the red flags that are right in front of your eyes. And in this video, I'm gonna talk about three categories of red flags. Um, and those are what I call the unavailable person red flags, manipulative red flags, and then what I call burning red flags. And it's easy to see them in retrospect. It's easy to see them in other people. Um, but most of us only see them after we've paid the price for not seeing them in the first place, or we saw them and then we push forward with the relationship anyway. And I don't want you to ever have to waste your good, precious life ever again on someone who isn't into you, isn't worthy of you, or isn't good to you. And here's the hard part. If you have a history of, you know, red flag blindness, which is common, especially for people who were neglected or abused as kids, there's a pretty good probability you're still vulnerable to it. It just works that way. So what are the things you should be looking for? Let's talk about it. All right, the unavailable category, here's one. They tell you they're getting divorced, but they are not yet divorced. Now this can sometimes be not a marriage, but a relationship, but this is a really common thing that people with, with complex PTSD, they will be very good at attaching to a future fantasy of what the relationship can be like, the potential, right? So somebody goes, well, I'm about to be divorced. And you'll see this sometimes when somebody's leaving a marriage and they're so frustrated and they couldn't wait to go out and see people. They're right up there on the dating sites. You know, they just want to get going. And it is this sort of inconvenient fact that the old thing is not really over or out of the way yet. So maybe they're still living with the person or the divorce hasn't gone through, or there's a lot of drama with the ex still going on, that is a red flag. If somebody would go on and try to start a new relationship when they still have all that unfinished business, trust me, there are going to be problems ahead. Okay, so along the same lines, sometimes you might be dating somebody and okay, yes, they are technically divorced, but the ex lives in the house. They're down in the basement. There's some sort of financial arrangement or interdependency going on. And I know that people can come up with very creative um, ways of continuing a relationship or sharing a house or raising kids, but it's very unlikely to indicate smooth sailing ahead for getting into a new relationship with this person. It could happen, but I'm just telling you, if you're blind to red flags, this is one you really need to look at. All right, here's another one in the availability category. They are full of stories that are both horrifying, they're full of anger, they're full of grief about terrible things that their ex or exes did to them. That that is sort of comes up very front and center in the relationship and you're dealing with a lot of that. That's a big red flag. For somebody to be really ready for a relationship, including you, we gotta have some healing around what happened and healing means we don't have to talk about it all the time, all right? There comes a time in a, if you're really building like a close relationship with somebody that you would talk about what past relationships were like, but concisely, it wouldn't be this thing that was emotionally leaking all over everything. That's a red flag, all right? Here's one. They talk about sex with other people in the past or even the present. And even worse, they act like it's no big deal. And this is something that happens for people with CPTSD who are on the receiving end of that kind of thing. You think you're in this big, um, you know, romantic relationship that's forming. They start talking about, oh yes, you know, and all this sex with other people. You feel jealous, weird, uncomfortable, and you feel like you can't say anything. So you get quiet, you crap fit to it. How many 
I, this happens to so many people where you think you have to be cool about it. Oh yeah, so you're just talking about that. I'm cool. I don't want to appear to be jealous, but that is how you abandon yourself for somebody who's actually just waving a red flag in your face. That is one way that you cannot have to deal with a red flag is abandon yourself. So don't do that. If, if somebody else's behavior makes you feel bad and uncomfortable and like you're not being honored as their partner, then it's a red flag. Okay. Treat it as such. You are allowed to feel that. All right. So that's one of the manipulative uh, red flags. Here's another one. They behave on different dates in a way that changes and throws you off. So one time they're like the perfect gentleman. Another time they're, you know, rough or loud or angry could have to do with um, alcohol or drugs. Right. And those are red flags all by themselves. But you know, if like drinking to the point of behavior change, showing up for dates drunk, definitely a thing. But just this, that you see these different sides of the personality, like they're putting on their best appearance for you at the beginning. And then you see this really rough side. If you have a history of trauma, if you have a history of crap fitting and uh, getting into trauma bonded things where somebody's really nice and then they're really mean, they love bomb, they discard. If you're good at putting up with that, you got to really, really like see that red flag when it happens. It will never be a good thing for you to be with somebody who blows hot and cold like that. It's, it's, it's emotional abuse under the best of circumstances. For a person with CPTSD, it is just, you know, it'll just wreck your autonomy, your clarity, your confidence. You don't want to have that happen. All right. Uh, I'm thinking of an example. Somebody jokes about being in love with you and then they talk like they're like, like you're just friends and, and you feel like you have to be cool, right? That's just, it's, it's like whenever you see yourself acting cool about something that makes you feel really like violated and hurt, that is your red flag. That's your emotions telling you the red flag is waving even when your mind can't see it. Another manipulative red flag is they get angry when you try to set a boundary. So let's say you say, um, I'm not going to go to this birthday party for your ex-girlfriend or, um, yeah, this is too soon. I don't know you well enough to have sex. And they get angry at you. All right, right there. There's your red flag. That's a deal breaker right there. Um, or here's one. They keep you waiting by, you know, you're, you're always waiting. And if you have been abandoned as a kid, people leaving you waiting when you're just sitting there and they don't show up for half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, they're not calling. They said they'd call that kind of thing. That is a very harsh form of manipulation. Best case scenario, they're just total flakes. But why would you want to be with somebody who activates all that trauma for you by with the inconsideration of of, of being late like that. They say they want to see you on a certain weekend and I'll call you, I'll call you. Okay. And then you don't call, but you've held the whole weekend for them. And then you're just sitting there kind of in all your CPTSD emotions, you know, about like, when are they going to call? Should I just go ahead and make plans? And you might find yourself where it gets so upsetting that the only way that you have the power to get out of the house and just go do your own thing is with anger is with a lashing out type of thing. All of this is so destructive to close relationships. And honestly, I think it's fine if you wreck your relationship with somebody who manipulates you like that. But when you've been in a lot of relationships like that, it starts to become habit. And so somebody simply being late in an innocent way can set off this whole like avalanche of old feelings from people who treated you in a truly, you know, uncaring way or manipulative so then you're pushing people, good people away. So you don't want to let this happen to you. Don't let this like scar you and damage you. All right. Now we're going to move into the red alert category. All right. One is they are rude to people you encounter together. So you've gone out on a few dates, you're at a restaurant 
and they are just an a-hole to the food server, or they're yelling at other drivers and cursing, or they're cruel or rough with animals. All right, right there, I would just say, draw the line. People who treat other, way, other people that way, um, it's, it's only gonna be worse when it's in the house, when it's in their personal relationship. I would just say, completely get away from people who do that. Now, everybody has had a bad day, maybe where they you know, yelled at another driver or something. But if, you're, if people are doing that on early dates, if even when they're on their best behavior with you, they can't control that, it really is a bad sign. Okay. Another sign, they suddenly have a financial emergency and ask to borrow money. All right, never lend money to somebody you've just begun dating. And honestly, I don't know where you wanna draw the line on that in terms of how long you've been dating, but so often that's, that's a level of red flag that somebody either has um, serious financial problems, a serious drug problem that becomes a financial problem, right? or the whole thing is a scam. And it doesn't happen that often, but if you have CPTSD and if you have a history of getting involved with people and you couldn't see red flags, you are a target for scammers. So never lend money and always be suspicious if somebody asks for a loan. Um, you know, I could see a scenario where you go to a restaurant, the other person was gonna pay and they're like, oh, I didn't have my wallet, I'm so sorry. They should actually be willing to like cancel the restaurant to deal with that rather than expect you to pay. I wouldn't say if somebody said, you know, and you stepped in and said, that's all right, I'll get this one, I have this. Okay, fine. That's not um, a scam or anything. It's a red flag. It's a red flag. So just keep an eye on that. Um, all right, so here's something. They lie about something. They lie to you or you hear them lie to somebody else. Like um, they get a restaurant bill and the server forgot to charge them for something, you know, some $20 thing, and they don't speak up about it. And with you, they're like, ha ha, they, they forgot to charge us. You don't wanna be with that person. That person is quite comfortable with dishonesty in a way that affects other people. Don't do it, don't be with that person. Um, another thing is if they ask for your help deceiving someone, it's like, oh, tell them, you know, tell them we couldn't come because lie. I just would say that's a red flag. You might find a way to, I don't know, maybe you can work out some of these things, Maybe they don't bother you, but I'm just telling you, it's a red flag if somebody in the early phases of dating, and I'm just gonna call that like the first six dates. If they're already doing that, it's a really bad sign, okay? It's a bad sign that they're kind of like, their backbone is suspect. So when you see a red flag, do you have to leave? No, you don't. But see the red flag, notice it, stay connected to people who support you, who love you, who have your best interest in mind talk to them about what's really going on. One red flag for you is that if you find yourself feeling like you have to hide from your friends what's going on in your relationship, that is your red flag that something's wrong with the relationship. You know your friends are gonna see it and you're trying not to see it. So remember, the first six dates, people are on their best behavior. Whatever they're doing now is likely to be worse later. So keep a sharp eye on that. Don't be afraid to end a relationship. Do be courageous about not rushing into the relationship. Don't get attached, take it slow. That's a good way to support yourself as a person with CPTSD. So much of what I got told about trauma in life was wrong. I remember a therapist saying to me back in my 30s, you know, people like you are really just trying to recreate their childhood. And you know what? They could not have been more wrong. 
This myth still gets pushed on people who grew up with abuse and neglect. People who say it, I know they have good intentions and they think they're shedding light on something that they believe. They think that we just don't understand, that we need to be told, it needs to be explained, that you actually want to be abandoned. Have you ever been told that? You know, it must look like that from the outside, but I do not believe that's true as a person who lived through this myself with neglectful parents and later several relationships that left me abandoned and alone in a big way in my young adulthood. And I'll tell you what I believe is really going on when we keep repeating the pattern and getting into relationships and getting abandoned. Now, of course we don't want to be abandoned. We want to be loved and safe and accepted just like anyone, and we deserve it. But to heal, we've got to get rid of the confusing and shaming idea that we're trying to get abandoned and focus on what the real problems are. Because when you can see the problems, you can take steps to heal them. And you can heal them. You can learn to form relationships with good people who love you and are committed to you. Here's what I think is going on when you find yourself stuck in an abandonment loop and it just keeps happening. All right, number one, abandonment happened to you before. And that's the reason getting abandoned as a child has a way of squashing your expectations. And at the same time, it can make you incredibly brilliant at adapting to those circumstances at home. So you learn to crap fit. You, you fit yourself to a crappy situation because you got trained to do that when you were a kid. You had to. And you learned to do it so well when tre people treated you badly. You were like, you know what? I've got this. No problem. I'm a ninja. I can take anything. I'll solve it. But when you take that you know, competence into your adulthood, it's a terrible way to approach relationships and evaluating people. You don't want to be good at fitting yourself to crap. You want to be bad at it. You want to have a really good red light detector instead. And you know, that tells you, uh-uh, this is crap. I don't want to be here. And unfortunately, when CPTSD is untreated, it just feels normal feels normal that people are causing you to have to put up with horrible treatment. And if you didn't have that, if, if you would heal that crap fit, which is something you can do, right? And have a red light detector instead. If you had that, you'd be able to see those people coming a mile off. So then your detector would say, uh, this is a person who's not going to stick around, or that's not a person who's sincerely interested in me, or that's a person who, you know, they may be interested, but they're not capable of making that kind of commitment. So you start to have discernment to choose people who are safe for you to give your heart and invest your future in. And then you're not abandoned, right? Number two, you learn that you had to have a nice personality all the time, to fake it because of the circumstances of what you were growing up with. So you habitually show this very nice side of yourself to the new person. You know, you meet them, you go on a few dates, and then something happens and boom, the CPTSD causes you to have a burst of anger. And you know, you might be having an emotional flashback. That's a thing that happens to people with CPTSD. If you haven't heard of emotional flashbacks, it's like the kind of flashback you might see a combat veteran have, but it's emotional because it happened often before you even had language. So you might wake up in a terrible mood and you don't even know why, but you're just, you know, you feel like everybody's against you. And, you know, you're kind of like banging around the house, being critical and overwhelmed and impossible to please. Well, sometimes that's an emotional flashback. And you know what? It's not fun for partners to deal with. 
So when they first met you and you're nice and then you turn into this ogre and lash out and try to hurt them, that is frightening to healthy people. So if you've been in a relationship with somebody who kind of had it together and could detect red flags, that was the red flag for them. That may be the point when they walked away and left you. And it's sad. It's, it's a terrible loss. But, but just stay with me here because it's never too late to have another chance to heal and change your life. You can heal these emotional flashbacks and these behaviors, right? So some other unpleasant personality things that come along with CPTSD, um, like maybe you're unreliable or you're unreasonable when you feel hurt or left out. And sometimes those feelings can get exaggerated. Um, that goes with PTSD. That's really normal. Or maybe because you know that you tend to overreact to things, you try to compensate by being super agreeable, like fake agreeable. You know, I'm fine. No, this is great. Whatever you want, honey, no problem. And to other people, you know, even if you don't end up blowing up at them and you just are always like going along with everything, it just feels like you're not there, like you have no spine, like you have no boundaries. So that's a reason that people might be backing away from you. This is all stuff you can heal, but for now, it might be pushing people away. All right. The fourth reason that abandonment might be following you in your life is that your self-esteem is so wounded that you feel embarrassed to actually feel and say what you want in a relationship when you would like it to go to the next step or to even admit that what you want is the M word, marriage. <laughs> It's this weird thing, right? When I coach people around relationships who have complex PTSD, I almost never meet anyone who can admit openly what they want, the full measure of what they want. So when I work with people who are, who are dating or hoping to date, I've almost never met anyone who could admit what they wanted is marriage. And at first I was just like, well, you know, what's going on? Am I really behind the times and nobody wants to get married anymore? Because I did. When I started asking questions of people, it turned out that for almost all of them, marriage was their heart's desire. And yet when I asked, what's your ideal relationship? They'd hedge their bet on that and they'd say, oh, a life partner or a long-term relationship. And so I'd push on that so that I could be sure to be clear and just say, so you don't want marriage, you want like long-term or life partner because there's some piece of marriage that you don't want. And they go, oh yeah. And I go, well, which part don't you want? Is it the like commitment to, you know, to stay together all your life? And, and they go, no, no, I want that. And I go, is it to you know, share resources and live together. No, I want that. Be like, I don't know. It sounds like you're saying marriage. <laughs> and they go, uh, well, yeah, but it just seems like I can't really have that. It feels like an impossible dream. It feels like too much to ask. And so they feel like they can't ask for it or even like hold it in their minds. But the problem is that you compromise when, when you can't admit what you really want. You're kind of entering into the dating situation dishonestly, selling yourself short, but most of all dishonestly for yourself and for the other person. And it's a setup for you to be really disappointed when you get what you asked for. You'll be hurt and they don't turn out the way you secretly hoped they'd turn out without you having to like want it or, you know, have a boundary about it. So, I really encourage you to support your healing by writing down on paper what it is you really want, even though you know that, you know, we don't all get everything we want, but write it down, even though we know that we don't always get what we want. And even if you get what you want and then find out it doesn't work, 
These are all givens, but you can admit what you really want and get that on paper. That is a very good thing to do, and that's always the first step in my dating course. If you haven't checked that out, that's always down in the description section below all my videos, my dating course for people with CPTSD. The fifth reason that you might be a little bit in the danger zone for abandonment is that you may have been conditioned through therapy, for example, to focus excessively on your feelings. And instead of, say, focusing also on solutions or considering other people's feelings, and what happens here for couples is that when one or both people are really, really focused on their own feelings and they can't really move past expressing how they feel and then moving into the solution thing, well, it's easier said than done, I know. But when you can't do it, this is what they call processing death. You process your feelings forever to the death, and it has a way of killing the romance in a relationship. It has a way of just sucking the life out of partners as well. When they have to spend three or four hours talking about your feelings and going into that loop of feelings, it's a lot. What happens when we talk about traumatic experiences and feelings, and this is one reason why I teach people over and over again, if you're not getting anywhere, Consider not talking so much and instead using writing to express yourself. You can write your fears and resentments. That's a technique I teach in my free course, my daily practice course. And that's always down below too in the description section. Um, and I'm sure you've heard me mention it. I always bring it up, but it's free. And if you sign up for that, you get invitations to join calls that I lead every you know, two times a month um, for anybody who wants to do the techniques with me and ask questions about it. So it was life-changing for me. It's incredibly helpful for me um, to re-regulate and bring my emotions back down to just, you know, right-sized. This is the sixth reason why abandonment can be such a common experience for us, is we've been abandoned as kids, and it's hard to escape. The pattern is emotional flashbacks. I mentioned them before, but when they're not understood and managed, these intense outbursts of emotion can go so far as to be abusive. And it can be emotional abuse. It can even go into physical abuse. But in those emotional flashbacks is when you're most vulnerable to do behaviors that are not okay with other people and that are going to cause the end of a relationship. All right. Number seven is something called abandonment melange. And this is a term coined by Pete Walker, who wrote this book, CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving, that is excellent. And I recommend it for anybody trying to sort out um, their own trauma wounds. Abandonment melange is a toxic combination of terrible emotions of grief, rage, and terror. I mean, really amplified all at once. Have you ever had that when you've been left or even when you had fear that you were going to be left? Like a sick feeling creeps over you and it's almost like a chemical poisoning. And you're aware that you have a degree of feeling in those moments that's like worse than other people, okay? That's abandonment melange. That's the word for it. It doesn't happen to everybody. It happens to people who have an abandonment wound. And if you have that, then I don't even need to tell you how terrible it is for relationships. It causes unreasonable perception and behavior and a sort of meltdown emotionally that doesn't feel like a safe or grounded person to anybody who's dating you. So healing your abandonment melange because when you know what it's called and you start to notice what's happening, you can go, oh, wait, hold on. I'm having abandonment melange. My feelings are actually distorting my perception right now. And it's very comforting to know that because if you're in it, things are not as bad as you're perceiving them to be. And you know they're going to pass. So what a relief. Number eight, 
we have trouble developing relationships in a conscious way. It's difficult when you have a big attachment wound to go slowly enough to get to know somebody properly so that you can find out, are there red flags here? Do they have strong feelings about you? Do you have strong feelings about them? This takes time to develop. And what happens with people with CPTSD is sometimes we have huge walls up. We can't go fast at all. We can't even go on a date or we go on one date and we're already planning a trip to Vegas to go get married, right? It's just like fast, slow. That's the nature of CPTSD. But there are workarounds you can use even if your mind is still doing that. Part of you can still recognize that as a person with CPTSD who tends to either put up walls or rush in, you can learn to handle that better with workarounds. And that's something I teach in the dating course as well, like a structured approach to dating so that you can get around that impulsiveness of pushing people away or rushing in that come from emotional and neurological wounds that happened in, when you were a child who was abused and neglected. If that's you, I want you to give yourself just a, just a huge hug of approval and validation that despite all that you've gone through, that you're trying to heal. You're here, you're watching this video, you're trying to learn to love other people in a healthy way and nothing could be more beautiful and noble. And now that you're healing, your judgment's going to start healing. And when people say, oh, you're just trying to recreate your terrible childhood, you can take that into consideration and decide for yourself if it's true. And if it's not, you can say thanks for your opinion, but nah. And if you care to, you can express yourself about how you see it because how you see it matters. It can be such a relief to get some insight about what goes on with CPTSD, how normal you are, how you're just a person having a normal reaction to some very abnormal circumstances. So you can start to get free of that burden of shame and self-doubt about like, you know, why do I keep making these same mistakes? The answer is because you have CPTSD, it's normal. I have it. If you do too, I have great news. These are symptoms that you can work on and you can heal. A good relationship must have trust. And some things violate trust so badly it can never be recovered. For people who are traumatized as kids, having to ignore bad treatment and untrustworthiness from parents because as a child, of course, no matter how badly your parents betrayed you, you had to keep putting your trust in them. But now later, you may have a poor boundary against people who behave in an untrustworthy way towards you. And instead of getting away from them because of your conditioning, you may get confused, depressed, guilty, and feel helpless and stuck. So my letter today is from a woman I'll call Cheyenne, and she writes, Hi, Anna. I got married young, age 20. My husband got a vasectomy within the first two years of marriage because we both agreed we didn't want children. After he finished graduate school almost two years ago, he decided he wanted a baby. He reversed his vasectomy despite my objections, she says. Although to be fair, I wasn't extremely objectionable. I made it clear I didn't want a child, but I supported his right to do what he felt he wanted to do with his body. Once he was reversed, he started pressuring for a baby, telling his mother we were trying. He didn't want to wear condoms and was resentful and angry when I asked him to. And then he later admitted to poking holes to sabotage. And this was in year nine of marriage. All right, I've got the fairy pencil here and I'm circling a whole bunch of stuff here I wanna come back to, but I'm gonna read all the way through so I can hear what's going on and then we'll go through and talk about what I circled. 
I asked to separate, she says, and we've been separated for about eight to 10 months because there was a short stint when I did go back and then left again. He maintains he's okay not having children and wants the relationship back. He has, quote, mourned the loss of the children he will never have, end quote, and wants a life with me. In the meantime, he's become very extra religious, attending a bunch of church services all the time, and emphasizes to me that marriage is for salvation and that kind of thing. In the meantime, I, however, fell for a friend of mine and entered into a relationship with him three months now. But I feel conflicted about the timing of this relationship taking place while I'm separated and I'm recovering from trauma and battling against the pressure to reunite with my husband. The situation feels unbearable and I experience severe guilt about not wanting to be with my husband. He tells me a lot how much he loves me, but I don't feel the same way anymore after what he did to me. However, that attachment is still there. It's attachment without love. I feel like I won't be okay without him, that I will fail, that I will end up homeless even though I have a good job and have maintained my own apartment for nine months now. I want to circle here. Cutting that final string feels so unbelievably unbearable and I don't know how to recover from what I'm guessing is a trauma bond at this point. When I contemplate ending that bond, I go into a suicidal spiral and I want to hurt myself. Oh dear. I've been dealing with feelings of guilt about my new relationship because I have so many hang-ups about the marriage and I'm having extreme difficulty trusting and opening up. To make matters worse, I worry whether my decision-making is trauma-driven as to why I want to be with this friend. He was very emotionally supportive to me during the acute phase after learning of the betrayal. I pursued him, although he was willing. I worry he somehow took advantage of me when I was vulnerable. We tried to be cautious for a long time. It's just kind of a mess. I've been in therapy and I have learned I have codependency issues. I discovered my childhood was extremely traumatic. This was not something I previously accepted because I lived under the delusion that, well, I made it, so I guess it wasn't that bad. I repressed a lot of memories which are now resurfacing as I go through therapy. I also learned I have fearful avoidant disorganized attachment which makes this all the more excruciating because I engage in severe push-pull with my new relationship. So in essence, I guess what I'm seeking is support, reassurance, thoughts on my situation. It's kind of a jumbled mess. Cheyenne. Okay, Cheyenne. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Wow. Um, yes, I think I can help. All right, I'll start at the beginning. We'll work our way towards what happened. So you got married young, age 20. That is very young to get married. And I'm wondering about that. I'm wondering what prompted that. But it's often the case when somebody gets married that young that there aren't the ingredients there in that relationship that sustain it long term. That's pretty common. And getting married young can also be a trauma-driven decision. You didn't talk about that past, but getting out of the house is a big motivation. Wanting somebody who will be there for you, like thick and thin, you know, a bond, a legal, you know, joining with somebody. <clears throat> it helps with that fear of abandonment that I hear you've got pretty bad. So your husband got a vasectomy within the first two years because you both agreed you didn't want children. But then he finished grad school a couple years ago and he decided he wanted a baby. So he reversed the vasectomy, and you objected, and you're, you allow, well, I didn't object that strongly, and you told him very clearly you didn't want a child, but you supported his right to do what he felt he wanted to do with his body. Great, okay. 
So once he reversed, he started pressuring for a baby. So that's not cool. Pressuring is not cool. I, it's a very difficult situation because people do change their minds about things. And he was married to you, but his, his hope to have a baby was contingent on you. And instead of kind of dealing with the dilemma for what it was, that either he had to accept where you were with it or leave the marriage and find somebody else, he did something terrible. So first it sort of worked his way up from pressuring to telling his mother you were trying, like he was in some la-la land with the whole thing. And then he didn't want to wear condoms and was resentful and angry when you asked him to, which is also very childish, right? Um, and then he later admitted to poking holes, to sabotage. And that was nine years into the marriage. So this happens. I've heard of this sometimes. The slang word for this is stealthing. And it's the word for when someone takes off the condom without telling their partner. Usually it would be the man. Occasionally it's the woman. And then poking holes is another version of the same thing. And poking holes, like some people do that because they secret, they want the sensation, but not the truth to tell the other person. And it is abuse. It is abuse because what you consented to was the, was sex with a condom that wasn't going to lead to pregnancy. That's what you consented to. So he did something to you that you there was no consent for. And there were grave consequences too. It's a terrible thing to do. I don't blame you at all for being betrayed. And I think it would be virtually impossible to come back from that kind of betrayal, especially from someone, I don't know, it's just, I'm not hearing anything that he really gets it. But that's the least of the problems right now is whether he gets it anymore. So yes, he sabotaged and you separated. It's been eight or 10 continuous months now because you separated at first, came back and then separated again. And that's normal for a couple who separates over something. He's telling you now he's okay not having kids and wants the relationship back. I can see why you don't really trust that. He has, quote, mourned the loss of the children he'll never have. Okay, that's, I'm sure that's what, you know, maybe he went to a therapist and that's what he was told he would have to do if he wanted to be back with you. And now he wants a life with you. But possibly he's somebody with trauma who will say anything or do anything or abandon himself and what he wants in life just so he doesn't lose somebody. But the relationship is pretty damaged now. And then you say he's become very extra religious, attending a bunch of church services all the time and emphasizes to me that marriage is for salvation and that kind of thing. And the way you write that and that kind of thing, it just sounds like um, this is not a value you share. You're not on board with it. Now, his wife left him and he made horrible mistakes and it would be normal for somebody to, you know, turn to their faith and go deeper when they're in going through a loss like that. So I don't know. I don't know if this is his permanent thing. I'm not going to denigrate it, but it doesn't satisfy. It just doesn't answer the, the problem, does it, of what he did. In the meantime, you fell for a friend and entered into a relationship with him, and you've been together three months now, but you feel conflicted about the timing uh, that it's while you're separated. And yes, I guess separated implies that you're holding space to get back together. And did you promise that you would be faithful? I don't know. So if that's a dishonest thing that's going on, yes, that's not good. Um, even, even though the person abused you, um, for you, it's obviously giving you a lack of peace and therefore not good.
you're recovering from trauma. You're battling against the pressure to reunite with your husband. So yeah, that's what we call a rebound, a rebound relationship. And the thing is, you're not really emotionally available right now. You are processing a lot. You're still dealing with your attachment and your longing and your feeling that you can't leave your marriage. And it's, I just don't believe it's fair to another person who's trying to sincerely have a relationship with you to, to try to show up for them under those circumstances. I don't think that's honest or fair. Even if you are honest, you know, just continuing to have the relationship is inherently unfair and dishonest and is going to hurt him and is going to hurt you. It's going to hurt everybody. The thing that you're avoiding right now is the feelings coming up and you say you've been in therapy and I'm so glad, I'm so glad you're in therapy because you are in one of those moments when it's so important to have that strong support, especially when you told me that you get suicidal feelings when you think about ending the marriage, even though you don't love them, you don't want to be there. You're really into somebody new. It just makes you feel like you're going to die. That sounds like abandonment melange. And I hope your therapist knows about abandonment melange. And if they don't, I suggest you and your therapist read Pete Walker's book, CPTSD from surviving to thriving Pete Walker. And that book talks about abandonment melange. And I think you're going to relate to this. Okay. As he defines it, it is a toxic mix of emotions of intense grief, rage, and terror all three happening at the same time and i can tell you i have that when i first heard that definition i was like ah, that is what i've always had and it has helped me so much to have a name for it there's a name for it and when it happens you can say to yourself i'm having abandonment melange you go okay okay so this terrible feeling like life isn't worth living it's a, it's almost like a bad dream or a scary movie that's playing in your mind and you can't quite come back from it until you can say to yourself, this is abandonment melange. And so you still have the feelings, but the fear that it's like that bad calms down. You just know, yes, it feels like this. And then it passes because this is a memory. It's a emotional memory from my childhood. So that sounds very much what you're describing just sounds like that. An abandonment melange keeps people with CPTSD hostage. Our own emotions keep us hostage in relationships we do not want to be in. And that is so much how, well, this is a lot how trauma gets passed from generation to generation as it was already bad before the kids, but now the kids mean the parents have to stay together at least for a while. And I could totally see that happening for you um, given his agenda and his seeming you know, misunderstanding of, of, of the betrayal that he did for you. And not just like, he didn't just res not respect your wishes. He tr tried to trick you into a very terrible situation. No, it's broken. That's no good. So you've got guilt, um, about, about the new relationship. And I think the guilt is because it's not right to try to be with somebody when you're going through all this healing and trauma yourself. That's not right. But I don't blame you at all for just wanting somebody to be there for you, to have a friend and, you know, to put their arms around you and all that. What a nice thing to have. But, but the trauma can be made so much worse by the dynamics of a romantic relationship that you are not really in a position to have. I've been in therapy and I've learned I have codependency issues. Okay. I believe you. I, everything I'm hearing, it's even more than that. I discovered my childhood was extremely traumatic. You didn't accept it before. You sort of toughed it out. I, I used to do that too. And that's, that's fine. That's a good survival mechanism. And then things get bad enough that you have to kind of look at what it is. Okay. And here we are. So 
So you've learned you have a fearful avoidant and disorganized attachment, which makes this all the more excruciating because uh, you do severe push-pull. Yeah, push-pull is emotional abuse. I hate to tell you. I don't want you to do that to that guy. Disorganized attachment is um, a very good reason to be in therapy. It's a very hard condition. You can work on this. You can heal the symptoms. You can learn to show up for a relationship in a more steady way. But I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that you can do it under the circumstances right now. So my suggestion to you, Cheyenne, is to take some time to be alone, to go to therapy, to participate maybe in 12-step meetings, and to have friends, and to do exercise, and to do things that give you joy, and make your life stable. And congratulations on being able to have your own apartment, and work, and take care of things. See, you can do this. You can do this. And there's such a great joy in being able to do that, and the, the pleasure of making yourself a nice, healthy dinner, and eating it, and washing the dishes, and sitting down, and you know, watching TV, reading a book, and then turning out the light, and going to bed. I know there's terror that it's going to be like that forever, but it's very unlikely to be like that forever. This is your chance. This is your time to finally heal what happened to you in the past. Few things in relationships can drain your energy and your personal power like narcissistic abuse. By definition, when a cult leader controls and brainwashes people who fall under their spell, it's called narcissistic abuse. And so many Good, intelligent people are vulnerable to that, to someone taking charge of their life in a way that it feels great at first, like it solves all your problems, but then it turns into a soul-sucking nightmare. And the same thing can happen in relationships. The luring in, the, it's going to be great, then the deprivation, the mindfuckery, the introduction of greater and greater emotional abuse. At that point, a vital sense of self-interest, your instinct for self-preservation can be so damaged, you can't imagine leaving. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Freya, and she writes, Hey Anna, I would like to ask for your help because this situation has been dragging on for so long. I'm 23 years old and just enrolled in university. I have CPTSD from an emotionally unavailable, strict mother and an alcoholic father who cheated on my mother. I met a guy almost two years ago when I was in a very vulnerable period in my life. I was having frequent panic attacks. I was jobless because of that and was living with a friend at that time. The guy came as a, quote, savior. It felt like he dragged me out of the mud. We started dating only after two months. He encouraged me to apply for university, get better habits, see a therapist, stop smoking, and even have a better relationship with God, as we're both Christian. It was all good until about six months into the relationship. I started feeling overpowered, uh, like what I said did not matter. My needs getting frequently dismissed, such as asking for more affection, validation. I played the cool girl, but got tired of it very quickly. My partner wouldn't kiss me. He would reject hugs even, saying it was for my own benefit. He felt like my need for affection was unhealthy. I felt like a parent and a child simultaneously, being guilt-tripped into doing chores for him, such as cleaning or washing the dishes, because he had eczema, but being treated as a child, always told what to do. I felt like my voice, my opinions did not matter. He said it was unhealthy for me to wear makeup or drink coffee, and he would pick fights over those things. 
After a year into the relationship, he ended up breaking up with me, saying I was too obsessed with the idea of the relationship and I'm too immature to be in one. I asked for no contact, but he wanted me to stay close and I submitted, hoping we might be together one day. He said he would not want the advances of other girls and only did this to help me and better our friendship. But I found out he messaged a girl some sexual things after a friend of his warned me about some strange messages he and the girl exchanged on social media. He tried to deny it, but after I talked to the girl myself, it was very clear to me he pretended to be someone he wasn't. They did exchange sexual messages, and that moment, I was done. I blocked him everywhere and avoided physical contact as well. Since then, he tried reaching out from multiple numbers, apologizing, saying he has found new faith. It was the first time he said I was beautiful. He said he loved me, wants me, and only me, and that he was not connected to his heart. After not talking for weeks, he showed up in my hometown uninvited. He brought me a cake he made for me and brought me other very personal gifts. I caught feelings again. <laughs> I caught feelings. <laughs> like catching an STD. Oh. But later on, he told me he doesn't want a relationship for now. After he told me that, I cut contact again. He reached out from a new number, trying to tell me I'm wrong for damaging my heart like this, that I can't forgive and that I will cause myself hurt in the future. I just want this to end. I cannot seem to let him go 100%, even though I feel this is not real love. How do I know I'm making the right decision? I feel like I'm in his grip or under a spell. Thank you in advance. Freya. Okay, Freya. I had my fairy pencil. I was circling things I wanted to come back to as I read through. I'm so glad you wrote. And um, there it is. You want to know, did you make the right decision? Yes. And I'll tell you why. It's been dragging on. You're 23 years old. You just enrolled in university. You have CPTSD, emotionally unavailable, strict mother, alcoholic father, um, cheated on your mother. Sounds like just lies and no, um, no mirroring of presence of like helping you understand what feelings and perceptions mean. They damaged your perception. They primed you. They made you vulnerable for exactly what has happened. Okay. So you were having frequent panic attacks. You had no job because of that. You were living with a friend. So very vulnerable. Now I wrote down a list of vulnerable characteristics. I, this is a good time to read them. So I, I've been thinking a lot about cult leaders and spiritual abuse. And I know like this guy, I, don't, I think it is spiritual abuse. He was using the sort of Christianity thing. But whatever it is, whatever you call it, he tried to hang it on 20 different hooks. Very interesting, um, but not cool. I don't diagnose anybody, but he just seems like bullet point, textbook, Wikipedia, narcissist with who's a who's a psychopath everything seems manipulation so that's i can't diagnose but those of you who comment you can say anything you want so you go for it <laughs> you please please help freya know what this is so she knows what to do some research on okay so i got this list from spiritual abuse resources and they're an organization you can find them online these are the vulnerable characteristics that make somebody an easy target for narcissistic abuse and or spiritual abuse, okay? So it's someone who is under stress, 
which you were, you were having panic attacks. In transition, you were jobless, uh, you didn't have a direction in your life yet. Uh, tend toward dependency, you were living towards friends, and so you were very young and you hadn't really gotten to that point where you were independent yet. Tend toward dependency, unassertive, gullible, want simple answers to complex questions. A lot of these are characteristics of youth. Um, are attracted to trance-like states of mind. Hmm. Are unaware of how groups can manipulate people have recently had a traumatic experience, are unaware of how the mind and body can affect each other, lack skills in critical thinking and logic, and lack knowledge about methods of deception. So I just thought I'd share that with you because I was thinking a lot about that list. I've been planning to make a video about it, but I'm you know, doing my research. But I thought I'd just pull out that list because, Freya, I just hear it in your story that you were vulnerable. It's not your fault you were vulnerable. I mean, the minute people don't get taken care of properly as children, it sets you up for this kind of thing. So the, the, the really positive thing is you're out right now, you're asking for input, you're asking for advice. This is all really positive things. Yes, you can heal. It takes vigilance, it takes persistence, but you can do it. He came along, this guy, as a savior, classic, okay, classic narcissist move. And it felt like he dragged you out of the mud. And you know, when you, you were in the mud, so any kind of love and attention would have felt that way, right? And of course, when we look at somebody we're newly dating as a savior and it's gonna solve all of our problems, it does set us up for grave disappointment because nobody can really do that. Um, a relationship can be a positive thing and it can introduce a whole new set of friends and a purpose in life and totally good things. I don't deny that. But when you were in the mud and suddenly everything's been solved, vulnerable, okay. Healthy people will not try to convince you that they're the solution to all your problems either. So you got into a relationship, you were dating within two months, and he encouraged you to do these positive things, apply to university, get better habits, see a therapist, stop smoking, have a better relationship with God. It was all good until about six months into the relationship. So what, you know, I, I could only, you guys who are out there in the comments section, you can tell me the significance of six months, but I just think it's when sexual interest wears off and uh, the really nasty side, you know, there's, there's no holds barred anymore. There's nothing for them to get from you. Um, just the control, the need to control somebody else and to feed off that energy. All right. So. You started feeling overpowered, and I get it from what you said. What you said didn't matter. Your needs were frequently dismissed. If you asked for more affection or validation, no. You played the cool girl, and I love that term. We're gonna have shirts here one day that say, ex-cool girl, acting like, oh, that's fine. I don't need affection and validation. Yeah, that's needy, that's pathetic, or whatever he was telling you. He said he wouldn't give that to you. No hugs, no kisses. It was for your own benefit because your need for affection was unhealthy. Oh my gosh. That's where I say mind fuckery. What does that even mean? It was unhealthy to need that. I think it was inconvenient because, uh, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to just spoiler alert. Like what's with all the phone numbers? Okay. Something very nefarious is going on here. Felt like a child and a parent simultaneously guilt-tripped into doing all his chores. That's a very cult leader, cult leader thing. That's how you show your loyalty. 
um, and then treated as a child where he told you what to do. You felt like your voice and your opinions didn't matter. Well, he tried to make them that way, but they do matter. So you were made to feel that way and because you were vulnerable and he was manipulative and that's where it goes, but it's not true. So I just want to say that, you know, for any, any credence that you give me, your voice and your opinions totally matter. And I'm so glad you're getting them back enough to say what happened here. He said it was unhealthy to wear makeup or drink coffee. What the heck? And he would pick fights over those things. Okay, that's like crazy controlling. After a year in the relationship, he, and he broke up saying you were too obsessed with the idea of a relationship. Oh my gosh, that's like classic sleeping with other people and lying that it's somehow good rhetoric. Um, ugh. He said you were too immature to be in one. Um, yeah, blame you. <laughs> You're young. So in a way, you know, I, I give him no, he's not right about this, but just that, you know, none of us are perfectly formed for relationships. And so, especially in early twenties, you know, weird stuff happens when we were, grew up with trauma. You know, we, we often don't have the boundaries or the discernment and can't see the red flags and get very confused when people are abusive to us. Like, did I cause that? That's what we do, but that's why we're here because we're healing from that. Okay. So you asked for no contact, but he wanted me to stay close and you submitted that word submit. Ouch. Hoping we might be together one day. Okay. So yeah, you were in a deep trauma bond. I just, I hope he comes around and loves me. I know. And he said he would not want the advances of other girls and oh yeah, I'd, I don't want that with other girls. He just does that with other girls. And you found out he messaged, yeah, sexual stuff. Some friend warned you and you saw it. And when you heard it was other girls, like for whatever reason, you couldn't have a boundary and, 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 and the self-esteem to realize that everything that had happened up to that point was terrible. But the fact that he lied to you about another girl, that was finally what snapped you out of it. So good. Thank you, other girl. Thank you. Thank you for existing and for making it clear to our friend Freya here that this was not good. Uh, that was the thing that was clear to you. And it's interesting because there was that, like your dad cheated on your mom thing. And it's just weird how sometimes the karma of the stuff we witnessed and suffered from as a child comes back and repeats. And that's what we're doing in recovery is, you know, we're just sort of breaking the repetition, not by just going, I'm so bad. I repeat it. I'm going to decide not to repeat it. It's so subtle the way it creeps in. And it creeps in, I found, through the very minute, little fearful and resentful thoughts that become beliefs that start driving the trauma-driven decisions and behavior that carries us down the road of ruin, frankly. I don't mean to be Victorian about it, but my CPTSD symptoms ruined my life until I began to use these techniques to really get to those, those those very subtle little thoughts and just keep moving them out, keep moving them out. That Those techniques I call the daily practice. It's a free course that's always down below in the description section. Also on the free tools page of my website, crappychildhoodfairy.com. If you want to take that very, 500 people sign up for it a day. It's really popular. Come join us. It's, it's See if it works, okay? So you blocked him everywhere and avoided physical contact. I, I laughed a little bit. It's not funny, but if you block somebody on social media, I hope you avoided physical contact. So you were trying to have no contact. And I know how hard that is for somebody who's been trauma bonded and who's been neglected in childhood. That kind of a boundary and the loneliness that's coming up, even when you're blocking somebody who abuses you, 
it can be so compelling that you just break your own boundaries, you know, because you can't bear it, but you're doing it. Okay. And then once you blocked him, he tried reaching out from multiple numbers. I just circled that a bunch of times. It's like multiple numbers. What's going on? He has burner phones for something, for shady business, or for having different relationships with different people. I mean, that would explain why your emotional feelings for him were a problem, you know, a problem for him. And he apologized saying he found new faith. I'm just guessing like that's what you were hoping to hear. Of course he clocked what it is that you wanted to hear. And he said those things. And it was the first time he said you were beautiful. Oh God, trauma bonding to you were with a guy a year and he never said that. And then he says it and you're like, wait, maybe it's love now. I totally get it. Of course, when we read it out loud, you can see, of course not. It's manipulation. And this is called hoovering, by the way, when a narcissist just, you know, they just like ma, 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 everything that you ever wanted to hear <laughs> and suck you back into their orbit. Right. And it worked a little bit. And he said he loved you and you're the only one for him. And at the time, all that bad stuff happened because he wasn't connected to his heart. I just would lay money that those are the words that you used when you were saying what hurt you about it. So he parroted it back to you. I suspect he has no idea what those feelings are or what it means. He's just saying what you're supposed to say to get Freya to put down her boundaries. Then you didn't talk to him. You still had a boundary. Then he comes to your town with a cake, a man who made a cake. How irresistible is that? I totally get it. He's wearing you down, right? And personal gifts. So that phrase, I chuckled the first time, I caught feelings again. <laughs> and I think that maybe where you live, that's just a way it said like, I would say like, I started having feelings again, but I caught feelings. It just sounds like a disease. And it is in this case, it's like a virus that just got in there and made you think thoughts like this is a good idea. I've had that virus, <laughs> but later, then he said, guess what? He doesn't want a relationship. So he did all that. You sort of opened up to him. No, he doesn't want one for now, for now, bookmark placed there. And then he told you that, so you cut contact again. Then he used a new telephone number. This guy just cracks me up. What's with all the numbers? Somebody in the audience is going to tell us here in the comments. Like, what, what's with all the numbers? What's he actually doing? Um, and he's trying to tell you that you're wrong for damaging your own heart like this. What, by cutting him off? That you can't forgive. That's your problem, right? And that you'll cause yourself hurt in the future. And I just want, he's just, boy, he's grasping at straws to find a way to like, try to get you to let him in again and saying basically anything, no matter how hurtful. And you just want it to end. Okay. We're going to help you do that. You haven't let him go hundred percent. And that's what we do. We cannot let go of the hope, especially when it's just been all like, like it's just been so worked up in us. Like I want that love. I want that love. And you don't get it and you don't get it. And then you're given a little crumb and you're like, yes, I'm getting a crumb. I think the whole cake is coming again, but it's not coming. The cake is taken away. And every time you're given this tiny little thing, it's taken away and it wears down your will, your spirit, your confidence, your self-esteem, your boundaries. And that is the goal. That's what he wants. He wants somebody just who's all effed up. And so he can just like, it, this is a figure of speech, but he's drinking your blood. He's an emotional vampire. All right. So <laughs> you say, I can't let go, even though I feel this is not real love. And I'm just going to say understatement of the year. It's not even fake love. This is like some sort of terrible, terrible, uh, exploitation of a person 
and only because you were neglected and abused as a kid, only because of that could you possibly crap fit this into thinking, well, it's something like love. It's nothing like love. Love, by definition, is somebody who cares about the best for you. I wanted to share with you a resource here. If you're wondering if you made the right decision, um, Richard Grannon, um, who is on YouTube, who talks about CPTSD a lot, his thing is narcissistic abuse. I really encourage you, go check out his channel. I'll put a link down below in the description section. He has a new book out called A Cult of One. And I heard that title and I bought it immediately and it's on its way. It just makes so much sense. And that's what it sounds like you were in, A Cult of One. This dude is, you know, it's, 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 it's brainwashing, it's mind control, it's exploitation, it's everything like being in a cult. And Richard Grannon says he, he had to choose a word for who, if the other person is, an, is a narcissistic abuser, what am I? And I just wanted to quote from his book here. He says, I chose the term codependent. In using this term, I'm going a little beyond the boundaries of the way it's typically used. When I use the term codependent, I mean a person who is traumatized and brainwashed into needing to be a slave to abusive, psychopathic, narcissistic, tyrannical types of people and systems in order to feel in any way meaningful, visible, or alive. All right? So, peeps, you might want to check out Richard Grannon's new book. It looks fabulous, and I can't wait to read it. Has this ever happened to you? You met someone like no one else you'd ever known, and you fell in serious like with them, and you thought the other person felt the same way about you, and then you slept together, and you realized too late that you just signed up to be friends with benefits. And now you're heartbroken. This is really common for people who grew up with abuse and neglect during childhood and all the trauma that goes with that. If that's you, you probably had no idea how what feels like true love could suddenly turn out to be nothing. And unfortunately, you didn't know what to do next to stop the situation from further traumatizing you. So my letter today is from a young woman I'll call Star, and she writes, Hello, Anna. Uh, when I was 16, I was diagnosed with cancer and had years of really complicated treatment that left me with a lot of problems. Once I was back on my feet, I was around 20, and I absolutely didn't know how to be a functional person, as childhood wasn't much of a happy time, too. All right, I've got my pink pencil. I'm going to circle things I want to come back to on a second reading. But let's go all the way through Star's letter and see what's going on. Okay. I used to be neglected, always compared to everyone in my family, and as a result of that, bullied and neglected in my school, too, and just didn't feel like I was in some way important or likable. Once I felt like I could have control over my life and be functional again, I spent my time obsessing over studying and getting somewhere in life and completely neglecting my love life because I still didn't feel beautiful or worthy enough for a relationship. Last year at work, I met a really cute guy and we clicked instantly. We shared the same humor, we loved spending time together, and instantly had this feeling that we've known each other for ages. He started approaching me, giving me the much needed attention, appreciation, and made me feel relevant and special. This made me feel things I've never felt before. So one night we just hooked up at his place and I instantly started developing feelings for him. He called me the next day just to tell me that he is still not over his ex-girlfriend and is way too tired and mentally drained to start a new relationship. It just shattered my heart to pieces. 
I felt unworthy and unlovable as this was my first ever experience with love whatsoever. I agreed upon staying friends, but I knew it wouldn't work. We were still working together and we had to stay professional too. Lot to circle here. After a month or so, we hooked up again. This time he flew back home right after and ignored my existence for two weeks before reaching out again. We didn't talk about what happened and I was way too hurt and scared to bring it up so to not spoil our so-called friendship. A few months went by. We are trying to keep this friendship alive, but really the only way we get to spend time together is at the workplace. I still have feelings for him and I've told him all that, but now I think that most of this time I've been living in a delusion I created myself just not to feel the loneliness I've had before I met him. I tried to fill the void with this delusion of love. I started overanalyzing his every move, stalking him and his friends on social media. Obsessive, I tried to initiate things again, but every time I approached him, he would distance himself more and more until he finally, he was really obvious about not wanting to spend time with me outside of the workplace anymore. He never admitted to having any feelings for me or thinking about me, but he never denied it too. Sometimes he would totally act like he liked me a lot again, showing me affection and care. The next day he was distant and cold again. So it has put me in this delusion where I'm hoping that one day he will come back to me and love me again like he once did. I'm feeding myself this delusion of us being real soulmates and I'm not able to break out of it and start a healthy relationship with someone who will show me real love. I'm asking for your advice as I'm just not able to move forward with this situation. How do I let go of it and what can I do to feel better? Okay, Star, I got you. I can help. All right, I'm so sorry this happened to you. This perfect storm of having a rough childhood where you were neglected, you were compared to others, you were bullied. I mean, that's that's plenty to send somebody on a path of difficult relationships and CPTSD symptoms. But then you got cancer. And I don't I can't even pretend to know what that's like. I've had serious medical problems in adulthood, you know, but at least my personality was mostly formed and I had the autonomy to make decisions for myself and things like that. I can only imagine what that was like for you, Star, after your childhood and after having parents you couldn't really count on. You don't talk about it much, and I appreciate your referencing the past without trying to get into a big story. <clears throat> but I can read between the lines here that you were very alone. And, um, yeah, I know what that's like. When you've been through a very hard time all by yourself, anything comes up on the horizon, looks like it's a knight in shining armor. And that has happened to me. So I feel for you. You haven't done anything wrong, all right? But I can teach you how to avoid doing this again. Okay. So you met this guy and he, he, you, you laugh together, you love spending time together, and instantly had this feeling that you'd known each other for ages. Okay, what was that? You say that he loved you once and he stopped loving you. So first, I just want to say it's I, I, from everything you're describing, I think you're right. I think he was interested in a relationship at first, but something changed. Okay. Something changed. And so I'll talk to you about that, but let's just deal with the possibility that he's just a big player and he finds vulnerable women and he acts all friendly and nice and uses them. And that's possible too. And what I'm going to teach you is going to help you either way. Okay whether he had bad intentions or good intentions that fell away and you just couldn't deal with it. Either way, all right? 
um, the solution is the same. Oh gosh, I just want to say again how nice that must have been to have somebody who to crack jokes with and who liked spending time, time with you. I bet that just animated you and kind of brought hope back to your life. I can see how that is. Okay. So he started approaching you. He gave you much needed attention, appreciation, made you feel relevant and special, made you feel things you'd never felt before, which I assume is like falling in love, maybe sexuality. So one night we hooked up at his place. So it's interesting that you use the word hooked up because you just preceded it by how, what an incredible connection you had. And then when you say hookup, you know, maybe you mean something different, but my understanding of hookup is it's a total like non-love kind of sex act. Uh, it's just people kind of like for convenience using each other and haha, it's fun. Goodbye. Don't even think about it. So right there, um, I can see what happened. I can see you thought you had to be cool about that, but I shouldn't think you were cool at all about that. You were falling in love with him. You were becoming yourself. You were having like that best experience that love can bring until then you, you thought that you were, that it was two way, right? And so then you call it a hookup. So can I just suggest to you, Star, first of all, as a person with trauma, you know, both medical and family of origin trauma, consider just taking hookups out of anything that you would ever do anymore. You're, everything you say here is like, you want to be loved, you want to be validated, you want to be made to feel special and relevant. Hookups don't do that. In fact, hookups cancel out that opportunity. So, you know, what if you just didn't do that? Would you be willing to date in a new way that has a little bit more of a ramp to where you would make that decision to have sex with somebody. And it would be where you have enough information to find out what you're getting into. And you'll never again be hit by a total, well, let's not say never. It's possible for people to deceive, but it would be very unlikely that if you can take your time with this decision and get to know somebody and ask questions that are your honest questions and get answers that are truly satisfying and honest answers, that you can then have choices about who you end up, you know, bonding with through sex. And it will never again have to be somebody who doesn't care about you and who's not going to stick around. Actually, I'm not getting that he doesn't care, but just that he can't deal. But they're functionally the same thing. So you hooked up and you instantly started developing feelings for him. So from what the story you're telling me, you already had feel feelings for him, which is why you did that. Yeah, developing feelings for somebody. It's weird how so much in this in this day and age, developing feelings for somebody, it's like we hold it kind of in a confused manner, like it's a problem. Definitely keeps you from being cool girl who can, who's like, I'm really cool with casual sex, hooking up, awesome, you know, that's fine. Call me, don't call me, whatever, you know. I'm really cool with that. That's kind of what these situations, that's the persona that so many of us feel like we have to play. And there's a male equivalent too. All right. It's the nice guy. <laughs> the nice guy. No, that's okay. I'll keep helping you even though you don't treat me well. Um, so we just say, I'll just keep being, uh, you know, sexually available to you even though you don't care about me. That's what cool girl does. And yes, there's a, there's a certain kind of uh, person who loves cool girl because it fits what they're looking for. There's another kind of person, and this might be who this guy is, is that wasn't what they were looking for, but that's what you basically signed up for. And so they kind of made a calculation on their side. You know, maybe they were lonely. Um, maybe this guy, maybe he was lonely. Maybe he, you know, he was still hurting from a relationship that he wasn't over. Maybe he was craving companionship and sex and all that stuff. And you were just there like me, 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 me. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Why not? But when your feelings aren't really in it, you know, people, 
it's not going to feel great. It starts to feel really terrible on both sides, right? When it's not there, both people were looking for something else. So again, I can't read too much into where he's coming from, from what you tell me, but I just sort of try to take you at face value about this. Yeah, so you had sex with him, and I guess that was your first time, right? So then he called you the next day. Oh, it's him, it's him. What's he going to say? Just to tell you, he's still not over his ex-girlfriend and is way too tired and mentally drained to start a new relationship. All right, so those are telling excuses. First of all, being tired is an excuse that people use sometimes, and not being over an ex is an excuse they use sometimes. I'm just gonna give you tough love fairy talk here, all right? People will say whatever they feel like they can get away with saying to hurt you the least. Most people don't really wanna hurt you. Maybe he feels guilty. But what I'm guessing is that what he encountered when you guys had that hookup is more than he bargained for, that you had feelings and expectations that kind of freaked him out, that he hadn't really, you know, calculated that into what he was expecting. And so it's, it's really easy, especially if people are drinking, I think especially for men, but it could be anybody. But if sex is just sitting there like, here it is, have some, you know, there is pretty hard for them to say no. It's hard to say no. Men have to have strong principles consciously that that's not what they want. Or it has to be something they're way not into. So that's what I'm reading this is. I, I don't know. People are going to weigh in on this. But I think he was interested in you. But you ended up being perhaps too real. Or your needs were more than he actually could deal with. Or maybe your needs were coming out in the... In, prematurely stuff that was would be totally appropriate in a three-month-old or a six-month-old relationship about how you felt and what you wanted you know that you don't know because you know what <laughs> you were like 16 when this whole part of your life shut down and before that you were traumatized anyway and invalidated you haven't had a chance to be a teenager and navigate boy-girl dynamics so this is your first time so I just want you to just give yourself a big hug and a big forgiveness and just go okay that was my first go okay <laughs> that didn't feel that good and you know it's happened to everybody it's happened to everybody and you're not a big failure or anything you're you're learning how to do this and to the outside world you look like a early 20s I think you are right you look like you probably have more experience than you do and more awareness but they have no idea what it's like to walk around with an abandonment wound, you know, with the wounds of neglect and how that how that affects your thinking and how it makes you behave in relationships. So somebody, you know, they show you a bit of love and affection and interest. That attachment wound will just go, you know, are you my mother? <laughs> Do you remember that Dr. Seuss book? We talk about it here sometimes. No, it's not Dr. Seuss, but it's like that. It's one of those books. <laughs> I owned it. Little bird goes around, are you my mother? Are you my mother? And thinks all the animals are its mother. And that's like us, right? If you didn't get parented properly, the minute you get into a romantic relationship, it'll just activate all that stuff in you that's just been sitting there dormant. Like when oh when is somebody gonna just totally love me? And had you had that enough when you were little, you obviously had some, like all of us got some, maybe this much or this much, but you needed this much. And so there's these, just these needs, these emotional needs in you that are just like little alligators, like I, 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 I'm looking for something here. And people sense it and they're like, whoa, alligators. I was, I thought this was going to be roses, you know, and it's too much. And it's, I know it's sad. It's a terrible, terrible shame because I'm sure you're wonderful. And he probably is too. And he couldn't deal with the wounds that you now have. So 
it may be too late for him, but I, I promise you there, there are going to be even more meaningful relationships on your horizon as you go forward in life, more, more lovely, beautiful, connected. It will come. A lot of times, you know, the ones that feel the most connected are happening when you have the giantest vacuum of your own needs met the needs that you're going to meet for yourself before you meet somebody. When you're not walking around with, I know this sounds like rocket science, right? I just, I mean, all my life and certainly in my 20s, people were like, you just need to love yourself. You just need to like meet your own needs and then go into a relationship like la 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 la. And it doesn't like, they're just like, gak, 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 gak. I don't even know what they're talking about. Like, what do you even mean? There are a lot of statements like that. Like, you just need a good therapist. It's like, oh, really? Well, where are they? I, I keep failing to find them. I go to one and it's not helping. There's no catalog of good therapists. There's not, you know, there's, it's just a thing that people say when they're in that privileged position of having benefited immediately from something and it was easy. And they're just like, just do what I did. It's so easy. Well, it's not that easy for people with CPTSD. It's not that easy. And we're teaching each other now, okay, here's what you do. So I've been doing, I've been going around this block for a long time and I'm telling you, okay, here's what I've learned, right? The trick is you can't really play the casual sex game like many other people can because you're not equipped with the deck of cards that always tells you what to do in this situation and that situation and how to actually be kind of neutral about the whole thing. I mean, I don't know why anybody would want to be neutral about it, but sometimes for some guy, you know, you just, you want him to like you, right? But you get to play this different path, all right? You're going to go down a different path where you go... Uh, I'm going to get to know somebody before I even kiss them because I know kissing, kissing is a slippery slope, okay? This comes up in a lot of my letters. All we did was kiss, but kissing, it's basically, you know, you just basically open the big front door to the sex house. <laughs> That's what it is. So, yeah, you know, from a trauma point of view, once you start activating all the physiology of sex, your bonding mechanism just kicks in. And so, you know, I don't know, you go this far, you go that far. Certainly there, you know, there's relative intensity that goes with all of that. You're going to find out where your attachment wound shows up by going very slowly so that when it does and you suddenly go, ah, I'm freaking out, you know, this person doesn't even like me at all. And I think I'm going to start crying and I just, you know, I'm going to have to walk out of the restaurant or something before that happens. Or when the feeling comes up, when you're going very slowly and you have tools and support, I can't say enough. We'll talk about this in this video, tools and support. All right. Tools and support. That's what we all need. But when you have that and you go slowly, you can go, okay, hold on. I'm freaking out. You can just go into the bathroom of the restaurant, call your friend and go, I'm freaking out. This is happening. This is happening. And your friend is like, okay, slow down. Hold on. Maybe you write a few fears and resentments. Like I teach people, you get that down. You, get, you, you just come back to reality and your friend might say something like, you know, hon, I think you need to figure out like where he's coming from. And you go, well, how am I going to figure that out? You ask him. And I realize that it's uncomfortable and sometimes it's out of the line of common etiquette to ask somebody straight out. But if you don't know where they're coming from, you, you do get to ask. And if anybody's going to be freaked out by your asking, all it's going to do is accelerate the inevitable end. Like somebody who really likes you, if you ask them, they're going to be like, oh, yay, she asked. I think that means she's interested too. Like you want that guy. You want that guy. So don't be afraid to be yourself. And if you're confused about things, don't pretend, don't act like somebody you're not. But go your, lay your grubby cards on the table, girl. Like, say it. Just say, huh, you know, 
this is a date, right? <laughs> and they can say, um, yeah, kind of. And you can say, kind of, can you be clear about that? Because I think if it's, if we're not dating, I got to kind of handle this differently. <laughs> you get to say that, like, is that so terrible? No, it's not. But it feels terrible. And I'll tell you why. Because in addition to just like anytime being honest and showing our vulnerability and liking somebody when you don't know if they like you is a vulnerable position. Yes, that's hard. But what makes it harder is when you have an attachment wound that's exaggerating the incredible importance of this person. Like it's life or death. Like either they're going to like you back and everything's going to be amazing or they're not and you're going to die. That's what CPTSD is telling your nervous system. And, you know, you might like intellectually know better, but that's what you're living through. That's what's happening. So that's why you need your friends and you need your tools so that even when you feel like it's going to kill you, you get lots of love and support from other people going, oh, no, no, Star, it's not going to kill you. We're going to be here for you. You can walk away from that restaurant. You can cut this date short. You can leave the door open to talk about it later with him. You can, you know, you have all these choices, but you don't just have to like march off the cliff to totally bonding with him through sex and then hiding how you really feel about him and becoming ashamed of yourself that sex makes you feel like you love someone because that's what it's for, okay? That's what it's for. That's normal. And so if you're talking yourself out of that, you're kind of robbing yourself of the sweetest, most lifeful part of yourself. It's a lovely part of you. It's a really important part of you. In fact, it's like for the, for the universe as a whole, it's like one of the most precious energies there is. You know, a young woman who through sex like falls in love and, you know, bonds. Like that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So you don't have to just like throw it around. You know, you get to like treat it like this very precious part of yourself. And that precious part of yourself flourishes in an environment of emotional security, honesty, love, choices, support from friends. So that doesn't all, all your, all your sense of life and death doesn't go on this one person you don't know yet. Even when you know them well, even when you've been married 50 years, you're going to need friends. So your heart went to pieces. You felt unworthy and unlovable. That was your first ever experience with love. You say love, but I think you mean sex because that's not love. It gets better. It gets better. Hold out for that. Okay. I agreed upon staying friends. Huh. The great myth of staying friends with somebody who just broke your heart. Yeah, but you know that. You said this. <laughs> I knew it wouldn't work. You did know it wouldn't work, and it's not working. But it's staying friends with somebody you're in love with is a lie, right? It's basically um, trying to hide how, who you really are and how you really feel with that most powerful force of the universe. You ain't going to hide the most powerful force of the universe. Like, it's going to just like... <laughs> it's like a, it's like the little dam, right? <laughs> What's that? The little Dutch boy. It's like an old story. You know, there's a big dam and it's going to break and there's a little hole and he puts his finger in the little hole <laughs> and he's trying to stop. He's trying to stop the whole dam from breaking. Yeah. The dam's going to break. So you're for the force of the universe, your love, your, your, your need, the, the whole of you, the beautiful creativity, powerful potential of you mixed in with the trauma you've had and all the good things you bring, all of it, you know, it's a force to be reckoned with. So don't even think of hiding who you are. Don't pretend you get to work on your healing. You don't have to like be, you know, um, a nun or anything. You can date, you can become friends with guys, but all I'm saying is go slowly and never, ever pretend to be friends with somebody you're in love with. You're not friends. Here's this is tough love time. OK, it's a manipulation. It's to get them to keep hanging out with you so that you can keep trying to find a way to get them to love you. 
But pr I promise you, if they're going to love you, sometimes people who have rejected you will later come around and realize they love you. That happens sometimes. But the conditions that it happens under is oxygen, all right? Sometimes maybe things were, you know, the conditions weren't right for them. They weren't ready. They're, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, maybe you were acting to this or to that. But when the, all the pressure comes off is when they can now consider how they feel about somebody they got to know a little bit. So the best thing you can do if you love somebody is just let space occur around them. Don't pressure them. Don't keep initiating contact. You know, if you want to, I'd say if somebody has broken up with you, don't, don't contact them at all. That's just a rule of thumb. All right. Unless they have your stuff and you have to arrange to get it, in which case you can have your friend contact them. All right. If he contacts you and he's like, oh, you know, hey, let's go, let's go get some coffee. Because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, it's a narcissist. He's manipulative. Ah, maybe. <laughs> most likely, though, he's just a person. He's a person who's kind of lonely like most people. And he knows that you're, you like him and you're open to being friends. And it's nice to have coffee with somebody. It's also very nice to be adored by somebody. And especially if you, have, you can fall back and say, but I made it clear that we're just friends and I'm not interested. And then you're not to blame. So I've lived my own experience being the person who tried to make somebody who was brokenhearted because of me be friends with me. And I regret that very much now. It hurt them terribly, and that was idiotic. And I'm not going to ever do that again. Well, I'm married now, but, but yeah, I wouldn't do that again. And I've been on the end where, you know, more than once of being the great friend, you know, that gal friend who is just so cool about everything. And it's just, this, it's just more of the same emptiness um, and hoping, you know, hoping. If you love somebody and they are not interested in you, this is what I propose. Um, don't be friends. Don't ever be a fake version of yourself. Just be an honest version of yourself and just say, yeah, well, oh yeah, I can't really be friends because you see, I love you, you know, and you've got to be honest about that. Like, that's how I feel and that's not going anywhere. So if you're honest about that, it's funny, you can really shock the world by being yourself. And suddenly, a lot of the stuff that used to just break and turn up empty, it can't do that anymore. It's not an option when you're your honest self. Well, it, it can break. It can like totally just like shut down. When something is kind of a fake thing, when people are, are, are relying on magical thinking to kind of, you know, cello tape the whole thing together, <laughs> you know, make it hold as a friendship, honesty will just bust that up so fast. But sometimes if there really is something there, honesty will help the, the nonsense fall away and the true kernel will show up. And the kernel may be that, it's, that there is love there. The true kernel may be that um, there's great affection there. But when you're honest about it, people get an honest chance to decide how, they wanna, how do they want to deal with this. So if he knows that you're in love with him and he doesn't feel that way, he can, you know, he's, you're not tricking him into thinking you're fine. You know, he may want to know. Any, any decent person kind of wants to know what they're dealing with. Now you're young. This may not have happened to you yet. It's happened to me a couple of times where somebody, um, I never knew they had had a feelings for me the whole time. And I found out after a long period of time of friendship and it was just totally awful for me. I felt angry, betrayed. Like, why did you bullshit me about that? Why are you lying? Like I had to think back about everything we had done and it was creepy and weird. Like pretending you're somebody you're not is just, it's not, it serves no one. All it serves is, is the, a source for the fantasy that you're using instead of true nourishment right now, you know, like emotional nourishment. Sometimes all we can get is a fantasy for that. 
but it feels like it must be, we have to resort to fantasy because not having that person or having a period of um, barrenness, you know, we just don't have a love interest in our lives right now. Like that can be really uncomfortable and it can be all, all this pain can come up and anxiety about the future and a lot of crap from childhood comes up and you don't even know what it is. You just know you're crying all the time, you're depressed, you're having anxiety attacks. But what that is, is, is the stuff coming up that a fantasy relationship or a quasi, you know, friends with benefits thing, that's kind of what you got into here. You, you accidentally became friends with benefits. So that is, that is a way, that's like a very like yucky way to try to avoid what's really painful right now. It's, a, it's an escape, but it's a lousy escape that goes nowhere. It's just going to keep dumping you back in the pool of pain. And the pain you have right now is only going to get more if you keep doing this, if you keep allowing yourself to be treated as a friend with benefits when that's not how you feel. So what you need is friends and support. I'm just going to go through the rest of your letter. Okay, you've been trying to keep the friendship alive, but really only the only way to spend time together is at the workplace. That's inconvenient. I always say to people who are limerent on somebody, and it does sound like you're limerent because you're now obsessing on his social media and stuff. So that's true. It's crossed over into a, uh, you know, your brain is just doing chemicals that are making you addicted right now. And hope is the dope with limerence where you feel sad, you want, you want to get some hope going. And so you arrange things to bump into him or look at social media, just like, I need some hope. I need some hope. I need hope that my feelings will be reciprocated so that I can get through this night, you know, so that I can get through this weekend, this thing I can't face. So you try to initiate everything again. And by this time, he's really distancing himself and it's obvious he doesn't want to spend time with you anymore. So, okay. Tough love chapter three of answering this letter for you, Star. Um, yeah, it's uncomfortable when you when you get that energy for people. You, I'm just going to use your own language. You said you kind of slipped into a delusion, and it does sound like that. And I know it's like we all do it. It's it's so understandable. You're not a bad person. You're just having a symptom that's particularly devastating and will mess up your life. And so I'm really urging you to stop to do what you to take action against this symptom so that you can stop being limerent. And you said. Sometimes he'd be nice, then he'd be distant and cold. I'm just going to lay money on. I think um, he really didn't want things to be bad. And then when you were friendly to him and you acted like everything was okay, he was like, oh, phew, good, everything's okay. So he would be nice, then you'd get hope and that sort of obsessive side would kick in. And whether you acted on it or not, people have a nervous system. They feel your energy no matter what you're saying. And if he was feeling that kind of stalker, I don't care what you're saying, I'm going to get you, you know, that thing. It's, it's a frightening feeling to be on the receiving end of that. It's uncomfortable. It's invasive. And so then he would shut it down again. And that is my best guess. I don't know. I don't have his side of the story, but that's my best guess. I, I, you'll see a lot of people on this channel, and really they've been watching a lot of videos about they're a narcissist, they're a narcissist. That's a phase of healing where you can't yet really like look at your own side of the street. And so I just know people are going to go, that guy's a malignant narcissist. He's a predator. He's using you. But I'm, I just doubt it. I think that's actually quite rare. Um, it's so much more helpful to just realize, hey, he's a person, he's a person who, you know, was sort of clumsy emotionally. He wasn't sure what he was doing. He realized he wasn't into it. It could happen to anybody and it hurt you, but we got to kind of like remove him from the story now because all he is now is somebody who hurts you, whether he wants to or not, he can't be with you because that's not where he's coming from. Um, 
And yes, you can start a healthy relationship, but you know what? This is like the last thing that people want to hear when they're limerent, because it's like, okay, can you give me something even better, like really fast, like, like at four o'clock today, <laughs> right? And it's like, no, it might take a year or two to like do some healing. Whether you date or not, I encourage you to stop having contact with this guy. And uh, I, don't, I don't think there's a good path forward for you if you're working in the same place. And it's sad, but true. You're the one who can't deal with it right now. So ask yourself, can you change jobs? It would be so helpful for your healing if you could. And I realize in a few cases, people don't really have control over that. You know, maybe they're in the military or maybe they have a unique skill or, you know, maybe they're, they're the only English speaking person on an island, you know, or they're the only in a little tiny group, you know, and they can't go anywhere and there's a commitment. But for the most part, you can change jobs and it would be so powerful and positive for you to do that because the most important thing you can do right now is get that guy out of your mind. Right now, it's your, it's your wounds that are making him seem attractive to you because he's not, he's, he's terrible for you. He's, he's like a guy not into you. He's a guy who brings up pain in you all the time. He's like poison. It's like eating snail poison. You know, don't eat it. You don't want to eat it. You, your mind is going to say, eat it, eat it. It'll be different this time, but it's not. So the more you can just like get out of that, just get out of there, that would be really helpful. And then no contact, no more texting. Don't say goodbye. Nothing is necessary. And then discipline yourself to stop talking about him. Every time you talk about him, you activate all the brain chemistry. Every time you talk about him, that part of you is going to try to find hope in the whole thing. And that distorted thinking will come in and go, ah, oh, gotcha. I'm going to distort this. No, there is hope. There is hope. You know, he's so wonderful in this way. I'm going for it. You don't want to give, don't give that any space. Like just logically, this is a dead end for you. So getting it out of your mind and out of, just don't talk about it. That's a lot of, you're going to have, if you have women friends, that's what women friends do is talk about the guys who hurt them, talk about the guys they hate, talk about the guys they hope will like them. You know, we talk about guys, but this guy has to just, just take him out of, out of your, you know, just try to get him off of your mind. And then the last, the last frontier is in your mind and your thoughts about him. So this is what I suggest to you. You'll give yourself a half hour twice a day when it's okay to talk to him. Actually, better yet, 15 minutes twice a day where you can think about him. Don't talk to other people. Don't keep trying to make this real. Don't try to get other people's validation of it, um, except if they are people who are actively on the road to recovery with you. I'll get to that in a minute. But you stop thinking about it. So one thing you can do that's more productive than just sitting there thinking, because what you're doing, you know, if you're sitting there going into the whole thing of stalking, what's happening is you're going into rumination, you know, fantasy rumination, trying to think of scenarios. Maybe if I said this, maybe if I did 10 days of not speaking and then all of a sudden I showed up in this really nice dress and then I acted very aloof, but then I laughed and then he got jealous. You know, you're always like calculating, right? How do I reel him in? How do I do this? Anything but just being myself. When you are yourself, most of these things, they just sort of will drift away from you like, you know, like a little floating thing on a stream, they just drift away from you. And you what and there it was like, oh, it's getting out of reach. You want to jump in, you want to save it, but it's drifting away. So you stop talking about them, you stop thinking about them, but you can, if you use my daily practice techniques, you may know about that. I talk about it endlessly in my videos, but uh, it's a very specific writing technique, meditation. There's a free course I teach. You can, uh, it's, there's a link to it down below in the description section or go to my website, free course, daily practice takes about an hour to learn and try the techniques for the first time. And then, you know, you keep practicing them twice a day. 
And you're going to find it really like it gives you finally like a really safe outlet for all that stormy, the stormy thinking inside. And I do it twice a day all the time anyway on good days and bad. It's not always storming in here, but why it's not always stormy in here is because I'm always sort of doing my hygiene. You know, it's just like my stormy thoughts, fear and resentment, getting them out, making space for something new, which is very, very healing. As a person who had childhood trauma, you need loving people in your life. And those are not likely to, you know, occasionally people just find their partner very early in life and they have their person. But that does tend to be a little bit like a hermetically sealed thing. A really nice path is to make friends. This would be women friends. And they are and finding women friends who are like you, healing from trauma and working on cultivating a better way to date and um, eventually end up in a relationship that they would really, the kind they really want. So that's, those are the kinds of friends. There's, there's friends who go out drinking. There's friends who just sit around and smack talk about stuff. But I recommend to you, you find ones who are really on the path and you can find them in 12 step meetings. You can find them in my membership program. You can, uh, uh, you know, the thing about 12 step programs is if there's going to be meetings in your town and you can have face to face meetings with them. And a lot of people who go to 12 step also use my daily practice or, you know, participate in my membership stuff because we're focusing on trauma specifically. And there's a little bit of that. There's a program called adult children of alcoholics and other dysfunctional families. There's Al-Anon. If you are blessed with an addiction or alcoholism, there's very strong fellowships for that. But there you would find people um, and perhaps a sponsor, somebody who would kind of mentor you in how to do this, that would be so helpful to try to basically learn the things that other people must have learned when they were kids by their parents being really present, teaching them one little incident at a time. It's like, oh, don't talk that, you know, when somebody treats you that way, do this. You know, for those of us who just didn't get any of that and had to make it up as we went along, like feral cats, 12 step is fantastic. And, um, so, and we'd of course love to have you in our group. So I hope that helps Star. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.